Gilberts for brightening the mood on a snow-filled day. We appreciate that. And it's good to see the rest of you as well. Let's take our Bibles uh, this morning. See, I'm getting better about this morning thing, right? <laughs> Finally. How long has it been? A while. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read, uh, we've been working through the passage beginning at verse 1, but we're going to read, uh, I'm not sure how far, how about that? We'll probably go through verse 21 today, but let's start chapter 2 of Acts, verse 1, the beginning of the church. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia in Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues in the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out, my, pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth below, sorry, beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved." May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word, and let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we're with a great deal of anticipation here together, worshiping, praising, lifting Your name up on high, asking now that the Holy Spirit would teach us. Teach us from the book of truth, the Bible, the inspired Word of God. Father, as Jesus spoke and said that would come, the Spirit, the Comforter, would guide into all truth. Thank You, Father, that You've promised that the Holy Spirit would literally be inside of those that have trusted Christ. That's what this is about. Ultimately, Father, there was a change. There was a new era, a new dispensation where now the Holy Spirit inhabits, indwells every single believer of Christ. Uh, Father, give us full understanding of what you want us to see today, that relationally this will have been a moment that we've reached a new level because of you, because of the Holy Spirit, because of what Christ accomplished. Now, Father, we're here because of you. And we stand here because of what Jesus did. We thank you for what you'll do. We give you honor, praise. May you be glorified. Bless us through the word in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> a 
Last week, as we got started in uh, Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, a lot of things going on, uh, brand new things. Uh, it was another day, just like another day, uh, but this was a feast day. This was the Feast of Pentecost. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about bringing the feasts and tying them over into literally this, this time frame. Uh, we'll try to do a better job of that. I was out on some branches and didn't pull them all together probably. So we're going to try that again. You're smiling because I'm out on branches all the time, right? Chasing <laughs> rabbits around. And I try to herd them back together at the end of the, of the session. But at any rate, um, if we think about what Jesus accomplished, uh, we would call him, as we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 last week, he is our Passover, he is our Passover. Um, one of the things that would happen at Passover, as we you know, speak of regularly, uh, when you talk about that as a ceremonial celebration, is the fact that there would have been an unblemished lamb that would have been sacrificed, and that lamb's blood would have been put on the doorpost as these first the initiation was the Israelites were in Egypt for about 400 years. They had moved from being a place of almost chosen, if you will, because of what Joseph, God had I mean, amazing that Joseph story, right? I mean, you got, you got wicked brothers sell him into slavery. He becomes the hero of the world, quite honestly, saves him from not just them and his family, Egypt, but the entire world is with no one from starvation. And, and think of that. I mean, you think you're going through a tough right, time right now and it's really weird and you can't figure it out. You just can't. Read the story of Joseph. The providence of God is amazing. Here's a man that's laying, rotting in prison for two years for doing the right thing. How many times have you done the right thing and the consequences? What? What? what what's going on here, God? Uh, Joseph, very much the same way. And at just the right time, just the right time, I want to say that every single time, God never is early. He's never late, even though we might think he is. At just the right Joseph shows up in the court of Pharaoh, displays the dream that Pharaoh had at just the right time. And Pharaoh says, and, well, Joseph in his humility, says, you know, you need to find somebody, somebody that can handle this situation because literally... This is going to come. There's no question. Pharaoh's thinking, who would be better than that guy? Who put that in his heart? God did. So you think about that. We moved from a place of almost chosen people. The land of Goshen is where they lived, uh, the Israelites. And now 400 years later, guess what? They're slaves, truly slaves. Um, the worst kind of slave you can imagine. Beaten, taken advantage of, literally, beyond, actually beyond word or description. And now after the 10th plague, where God finally has the attention, that night initiated this feast, this celebration of literally the angel of death passing over all of those that would use the sacrifice of the lamb, the blood of the lamb. That's why John the Baptist, literally looking forward now, we're way out in front now, he says, as he sees Jesus from afar, Jesus is going to be baptized that day. He says, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That would be descriptive of the Passover lamb. Now, the, the, uh, the priest on this time, there would all, only be unleavened bread, no leaven in it at all. Leaven in the Old Testament is representative of sin, okay? You'll see that in the Passover, unleavened bread. Uh, then the next feast that we talked a little bit about last week was the Feast of First Fruits. This would have actually happened the day after the Sabbath, which guess what day that is? Sunday. Sunday would have been the day that literally Jesus Christ rose from the dead after he became the Passover lamb. Isn't that interesting? Again, the, the, the offering would be an un, unleavened bread or a sheaf, shall we say, of what's the first crop? We, we made farmers out of you last week. Remember you that were here? We made farmers of you. What's the first crop to, to be mature? Barley. 
Okay? And this is important here, too, because the feast of the first fruits would be the very first fruits. What would be the first fruits in regards to Jesus Christ? We went to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. He is our first fruits of the resurrection body. The first to have a resurrected body, obviously, was Jesus because he was the one that won the victory over death. You all, trusting Christ as Savior, will one day have your own resurrected body because Jesus Christ was the first fruits of that. Now, what I didn't finish up so well was the Feast of Pentecost. That's where we're at today. Fifty days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, the Feast of Pentecost would again, there was a part of it, it would have been a first fruits of the wheat harvest, which is something that would follow the barley harvest. Okay? So think of this for a moment. What was beginning at the Feast of Pentecost? We're in the position of being able to step back. Uh, what we read today was the unfolding of this, but literally the Feast of Pentecost was the beginning of the church. This is where Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, this will hopefully tie all this together in the sense of languages as well. We have Samaritans, we have Gentiles, we have, uh, da, 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 what else? Gen did I say Gentiles? I did. Uh, oh, and the other thing that's interesting is kind of on the outside, in the parenthesis of all of this, would be John the Baptist's disciples. We're going to find those in Acts chapter 19 for a moment today, tying this all together. But literally, the church encompassed all of those in this parenthesis time. If you go to the Old Testament prophets such as Daniel, remember Daniel's 70th week, 70 weeks? And that's a, that's a really big prophecy, but you get 69 weeks deep into it. And then there's the death or the, I would say the death of Messiah, dying for our sins. And then like week Number 70, there's 69 weeks, and then there's the 70th week. Daniel did not see a 2,000-plus year parenthesis between 69 and 70. He only saw the Messiah coming, and ultimately, at the end of that, he would come fully reigning, and the kingdom was theirs. That's why the disciples, prior to Luke chapter 24, as Jesus explains for the 40 days prior to his ascension, all of the things of the Old Testament concerning him, the disciples prior to that, before he died, guess what? Peter said... After Jesus responded a number of times, he said, you know what, guys, we're going to go to Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's going to look a little rough. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be betrayed first, obviously. And then I'm going to be at the hands of the Romans, be crucified, buried, and rise again. And Peter says, oh, time out. No, stop. You're not going to do that because the kingdom's going to come when the Messiah comes. See, see, that was a smash together thing. It was like looking at peaks of the mountain. And if you see, Bal if you see Mount Baldy from here, you think Mount Baldy is, is there. But there's so many other little peaks and valleys and crevices that you cannot see from here. Daniel or the other prophets could not see the gap between the first coming and the second coming. Didn't change the message, the understanding of it is clear for us today. As the New Testament comes to reveal the mystery, what's the mystery? The church. The full gospel understanding was not clear in the Old Testament. But notice something. The, dis the disciples not knowing that, because what did Jesus say to Peter when Peter responded that way? He said, get behind me, Satan. Did the message change? Now, in chapter 2 of Acts, I'm telling you what, when you go to the book of Acts, the disciples, the apostles, I'll call them apostles because that's what they're described as, the apostles were like on fire. They like were smoking hot in doctrine. What was the difference? I'll show you in a moment, just to be sure, because it's not like it was something different. It's not a different gospel. No, it's the same gospel, but they understand it clearly. They see the gospel in the Old Testament as Jesus reveals to them. Literally where his fulfillment of the prophecy is. It's not like he, it's not different. It's exactly the same thing, but their understanding was keener, more robust, more complete. 
I mean, it's fun to watch what's happening. Peter, I mean, Peter, as he's walking behind Jesus, for, or with Jesus for three years, I mean, his, his deal was simple. Open mouth, insert foot. The guy was really good at it, right? And now you watch this. We read just a portion of just the beginning. And there's potentially, some people think there could have been as many as 100,000 people in this place. And Peter stands up and lets her rip. It's not a long sermon, but you talk about authority. You talk about power. Where did that come from? came from the master in those 40 days prior to ascension, taking the scriptures. For they understood the Old Testament. They saw truly now the kingdom was something that was going to come, but we got to start with hearts. Because that's what we have today. Jesus Christ can rule and reign in the kingdom of your heart. That's what you must, what you must start with is your heart, right? That's what Jesus came the first time. Because if the hearts aren't right, how could we possibly have a kingdom made up of people that the hearts aren't right? See, stepping back, you can see that. Ah, where was this rabbit going? Now, think about this for a moment. Oh, yeah, we see, I almost did it again. Almost did it again. Right, Alice? You asked sure. a good question last week. You asked, how does the Pentecost, okay, the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the priest would offer up the Feast of Pentecost, not unleavened bread. Two loaves of leavened bread. Why leavened? For us, we are in a good position to see. The Feast of Pentecost, the church started. The church is made up of all peoples, right? Guess what? We're not perfect. In case you wondered, look in the mirror and you will see sin, won't you? The leavened bread is literally Jesus Christ, that Passover lamb, the first fruits of the barley harvest. We, the church, are the first fruits of his that literally would be depictive of those of the wheat harvest. And you know what? We are still leavened. Positionally, we're not. God sees us as totally sinless in heaven. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, that debt has been paid. It is Ithabon paid in full by Jesus Christ. His blood took care of my sin. I should stop right there. That would be enough for today, right? It's amazing what that literally changed about you. Now, our world that we find ourselves today, and if you're in the cow business, this winter is a killer. It just won't give up, right? I'm so ready for it to be over. But what I'm trying to see now is green grass through the white snow. That's what I'm trying to see. When that turn, and that turns colors, doesn't it? Somewhere spring will come and it will be fantastic. But right now the calves are suffering. It's a tough deal. It's a tough deal. But all in all, that doesn't really matter. What really matters is that you take care of the number one most important question in your life. What will I do with Jesus Christ? What is it that can make my future completely 100% secure and that is only in Jesus Christ's blood? There's nothing else that can fulfill that. You can try multiples of things. That's why literally power, money, real estate, you can name all of the things that people are chasing after. None of them can fulfill the ultimate thing, the ultimate destiny. How do I escape this physical death that's going to come to me? And for eternity, you are eternal. You are eternal. Now, where will I spend it? There's only one answer, only one way that can get you there, and that's truly, completely, without question, one way, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes out of the Father except by me. I'm glad that's there. I'm glad there is only one way, because I couldn't get it confused then, right? Isn't that good? How would you like to have ten ways? I wonder which ten, right? That, wouldn't that be the, you know, there's only one, and God can do that because he's God. He can be exclusive. He made the rules because he made it all. Today I hear that. Oh, it's so, it's so biased. 
God can do that because he made it. <laughs> if you make something, you can kind of line it up. You can do what you want to do with it. And the, worst, the best part about it is I can't think of any better way than for just one way to be. One way. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He, God, chose us, that's those that have trusted Christ, in him, Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. This is a plan that didn't just happen. He didn't, like, you know, I'm thinking, well, let's see how Adam and Eve work out in the garden. Oh, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Ooh. Oh, Eve, what were you thinking? Now what am I going to do? What am I going to do? These? No, no, no. In his foreknowledge, because he truly is God, amazingly beyond what I could possibly bring to, to your imagination, because I'm just as finite as you are. But to think that God knew that would happen and chose before anything was made that he would redeem those that fell into sin through his son, Jesus Christ. It just leaves me just totally speechless. Thank you. Just humbled, right? All we can say is thank you. There's, there's no other response. And the closer that you get to God, the more you see that. Someone that doesn't see the significance of the gift, those are the ones that need Jesus. Those are the ones we need to pray for. Those are the ones that literally Jesus Christ says, here's the baton, I want to pass it on to you. I want the entire world to be your mission field. Carry the gospel, the good news. And the good news is Jesus Christ was Okay, I'm going to help you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not getting anything here. I'm just waiting, waiting. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, right? And he was buried, right? And he rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. There we go. We got it. See, that's the gospel. It's the good news. And it didn't change. It's the first from before God made the world until you get to, in, write this one. Now, this is the other one. The last time you see the gospel and the word of God is in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. It's prescribed as this angel that literally is going through the entire world at the very end of the tribulation. And he's saying he's passing out the everlasting gospel. It's the infinite gospel. That's the good news. We're recipients of it in the church age. In this time that literally the, the, the Jews have been set aside. Thank God that they didn't get it right. That's our... In fact, reminds me of a verse. I don't know if I should do it right now. Why not? Let's go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, and uh, let's take a quick, quick look at how Paul corresponds the Jews setting aside or dismissing their Messiah. Where did I tell you to go? Oh, yeah, Romans chapter 11. There we go. Romans chapter 11. Let's take a look at... Um, Let's see. Verses 11 and 12. This is Romans chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. This chapter 11 is one you should, you should write, read uh, when you have opportunity because it talks about the fact that uh, here's something. This is, this is an important principle. I, I want to make sure that we understand. It. This is something that really needs to be understood clearly. Um, now, what we're seeing in the Feast of Pentecost on this day when Jesus Christ has just ascended into heaven, and for probably 10 days after that, they were waiting, right? He told them to wait, right? Wait and pray. They did. They were in the upper room, 120 of them. Mary, Jesus' mother, was one of those that received the Holy Ghost. I like to say that because she needed Jesus just as much as anyone else. She's not a redeemer. She needed a redeemer, and she got the Holy Spirit as the down payment just like you and I do. Isn't that fantastic? Okay? And his brothers were there. James, the one that wrote James, the book that is like the rubber meets the road. If you want to see reality in Christianity... Immerse yourself in the book of James. It's amazing. It will take you from what you want to think about faith. It'll drive you right on your knees getting rubber on the ground. That guy was there too. 
And here we are gathered in this place, Feast of Pentecost. And where was I going to go with that? Why did I get you there? Romans 11, setting aside. Yeah, they did, thankfully. That's how the Gentiles got into the church. And now I just lost that thing. But we're going to go with we're going to go with Sabi's before we read in we're reading in Romans chapter eleven, the fact that oh I know I know where we I know it I got it got it got it got it got it okay the feast of Pentecost was that day but something happened Jesus said they had two predictions that had not been fulfilled when he left one was the church he spoke it in Matthew chapter sixteen he spoke it to to Peter after he said who do you guys say that I am Peter got the perfect answer it was you are the Christ the Son of the Living God. And he said, upon that rock, now not Peter himself, but this rock, this statement, this principle, literally, because of Christ, because of Christ, literally, this rock, this church, on that rock, the church will be founded. Did that start? No, it didn't. The other thing in John chapter 14 through 17, he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Comforter. Now, that combined with the church beginning is exactly what happened to the Feast of Pentecost. Those two coincide perfectly together. The Holy Spirit comes, the church has begun right there. Now, this is, this is a fallacy that, that has went on for some period of time. Now, Israel, did they get it right? Oh, not very much, right? They were, they were like, duh. You, you get out of Egypt and you've just seen the angel of death pass over, right? And you had a firstborn child, let's, let's, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We're going to make Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Harry and Betty Smith, okay? And they were commanded the night of the 10th plague to get an unblemished lamb and to take the blood, follow directions, put it on the post, and then little Johnny Smith, that's her oldest son, would be spared. And you're thinking, what if this doesn't work? <coughs> but it did work because if you follow instructions and you follow literally what happens and that's a picture of what Jesus Christ did, it gets better. Now think of this, in Israel, not one single firstborn of anything died. They were living in the land of Goshen. Guess what was happening in Egypt? Oh my goodness, I mean, weeping and wailing, unbelievable, disastrous. The sorrow, the sobbing is beyond what I can imagine, even starting at Pharaoh's house. The firstborn of everything is dead. Now I don't know what you call that, I call that a miracle. I call God taking care of business. So they go for it, right? I mean, that's what they're leaving on. And the Egyptians said, get out of here. I, want, I don't want to ever see you, right? And wouldn't, wouldn't that be the, the proper assessment? So they take off, headed off for somewhere. And the Egyptians are saying, after having a moment, whoa, <laughs> hey, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, buddy, old pal, let's think about this. These were our slaves. This was our crew to get stuff done that we made them get stuff done. What are we thinking? Bring them back. What were we thinking? So away they go at a high rate of speed. The Israelites turn around and say, Moses, what are, you, what are you doing to us? And the Red Sea happens to be just in front of you. Why did it look so insurmountable? Why did everything look like you've just come to the end? Because they forgot what God did. How about the walls of Jericho? See, that would have been in the family, the family story room, right? I mean, as you're talking to little Johnny Smith, back to the Smith family, little Johnny Smith, he would have been surrounding that table probably, and Dad, 
What was Mr. Smith's name? I forgot. Harry? I think it was Harry Smith. I said, Harry, Johnny, I want to tell you about this. This is so fantastic. But it was written about in Deuteronomy. By, and, and little, you know what? You know what? They walked around this city as, as we went into the new land. Oh, you know what? I'm ahead of myself. That didn't happen yet. Hadn't happened yet. But why do they have trouble believing that? You see where I took you? See, they couldn't believe that either. Why? Because they couldn't remember what God did for them. It's the same for us. When we can't remember what God brought us through, we'll never be confident of where he's going to take us. Isn't that fact? See, and the Israelites were so bad at that, just like we are. Why don't we trust God? Because we don't remember what he's done. And you just need to remember. It ties together perfectly, right? We did. Actually, in Bible, men's Bible study, that ties us right back into that. Because the more we remember what God does or did, the more thankful we are. The more thankful we are, the more we remember what he did. They, they, they tie together. When you're not thankful, I can already tell you, you're not trusting God very much. That's not me saying it. That's literally how the scriptures work. Okay, so on, here we go. Here we go. The Israelites, did they get it right about Jesus? They didn't. Who got it, who got it the most wrong? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, those that were supposed to be leading the crew, they were supposed to be guiding them into spiritual truth, completely wrong. In fact, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 23, chapter, chapter 23, verse 37, one, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus is looking over the city and he's literally weeping over them because they had turned away from him. And at that point, he turned. Behold, your house is desolate unto you. This is all tying together, right? Because we're going to see this all in the Feast of Pentecost. Guess what happens? The church has begun. Israel is set aside. Now, this is what I wanted to get you to. The church is not Israel. It did not take the place of Israel. Israel's rejection of Jesus allowed the church to fit into a parenthesis of time that God's grace would work in what we call the times of the Gentiles which is good news for us. That's why I wanted to go to Romans chapter 11. Is God done with Israel? No. The period of time that's coming that's in our future and everyone's future is called Jacob's trouble or the tribulation. It's a seven-year period that, that Daniel would have seen in Daniel chapter... Uh, it's in Daniel, okay? And it speaks of these 70 weeks, and 69 of them have transpired. You can follow when actually the king, Artaxerxes, sent them back. That was the beginning of day one of these weeks of years. Sixty-nine of them have been completely fulfilled. There's one remaining. That's the tribulation period, seven years. When is that one coming? After the fullness of the times of Gentiles. Actually, all of the Gentiles that are in the living, and that's not just Gentiles, but it's the church age. Anyone comes through the same gospel. This is why we're going to see these languages, the tongues. We're going to, we're going to find these loose ends. I told you last week that the coming of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, comes on every single believer. That's normal. If you are a believer, I'm sorry, if you don't, I'm going to say it the other way. That's what Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, then you do not have Christ. See, both ways. It's very, very solid. That's normal. We're going to go to some passages today that there's some loose ends to tie up because the church isn't just Jews. This Feast of Pentecost is very, very Jewish in nature. Only Jews, particularly, are right here. Because, again, where does God start? Guess what? He starts the church in the same place as he started with the Jews. Okay. 
Israel is Israel. Israel will be. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. Now, I want to show you something that, um, does anyone know where I left my glasses? Oh, here they are, right inside my Bible. So, you're in Romans chapter 11. Let's look at 11 and 12. I say then, Paul writing, have, you, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. He's speaking of, of Israel. For to provoke them to jealousy. Now, this is what the intention was. If literally God offers salvation. Now, if you were a Jew living in the Old Testament, I'm going to tell you something that wasn't normal. And that was for a Gentile to be saved or have any offer of salvation. That was weird. You'd have to come through Judaism. And now what he's saying, he says, because the Jews are rejected, literally God has set them aside for the good of the Gentile world. But let's keep going. Verse 12. Now, if the fall of them, the Israel, be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. What he's saying is literally we have the, the Jews to thank for us to be able to be here in the grace of God today. Because if Israel would have got it right, they would he'd be, have been his chosen people, and we probably wouldn't be. But God in his foreknowledge knew all of that would happen, and it had all worked out. This 2,000-year parenthesis that lives between the 69th and the 70th week, guess what? Guess what? That's us. That's us. The age of grace. The church age. And by the way, by the way, this is what's really cool. There's still a remnant of Jews, they call them Messianic Jews, that see the Messiah for who he is today. Now, in the end of the tribulation, according to Zechariah chapter 14-ish, right in there, the Jews finally, at the very end, just, because, just before Jesus' second coming, not the rapture, two different events. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the rapture is Jesus meeting us in the air. The second coming, remember what we found in Acts chapter 1, the first coming, I'm sorry, in his ascension? Let's read it, because this fits perfectly where he's going to come in the second coming, not the rapture. Come back to Acts chapter 1, and let's do this again. Um, Verse 9, chapter 1 of Acts. When he had spoken those things, Jesus, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He took off out of the Mount of Olives, and he's going to come down on his second coming just before the end of the tribulation. And that baby this time is going to split. You go to the Old Testament prophecies, and that mountain, Mount Olive, will literally split at his second coming. That's the second coming, not the rapture. Not the rapture. The rapture is being met in the air with the Christians. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm planning to be. The second coming, I'm going to come with him. That's what it says. His saints will come with him. That seven-year period is when Jesus, I'm sorry, yeah, really, where they see the Messiah for who he is. Finally, at the end. They will see him who he is. That's when, Jew, that's when the Jews are worked with almost exclusively is in the tribulation period. That's why if you're a Gentile, don't fool around and wait. Because I hear this once in a while. Well, I'll wait till after the rapture and then I know it, so we're really close to the end. Don't do that. Don't do that. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Take advantage of it today. Okay. How are we doing? Lots of rabbits, right? Lots of rabbits. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. They do not intermix in the sense of positioning. Jews are in the church today. Israel will be dealt with on its own terms because of why? Because God had promised the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Moses, all of those were given promises. God did not set them aside. 
permanently. Get it? They're set aside, not permanently. Okay. Last week we talked about <clears throat> the coming of the Holy Spirit. We talked about what would be the evidence of the Holy Spirit coming. One of the things, if you came to this room, this upper room, 120 there, you would have saw these like fire, cloven fire, if you will, on every single one of those 120. Why? When's the last time you saw the Holy Spirit? Physically. Can't see it because he's a spirit, right? So what would be better than to have one of those on top of every one of those people showing that they had the Holy Spirit? It's obvious. It needs to be. But what was the evidence of it? They spoke in? Tongues or languages. They were speaking in lang actual languages. This is very, very important. Laramie, I'm going to have you throw up now on the board that map I talked about because it's going to name a lot of different parts of the world of which these languages spoken by Galilean. Now, if, you, if I say the word Galilean, this isn't probably good, but I think of them as rednecks. They were sort of out of culture. They were sort of uneducated. They were sort of backwoodsy, which means it was just like me, right? That's who I am. But you know what? If you were in Jerusalem and you were kind of the hoity-toity crowd, the Galileans were seen as a little backwoodsy. <coughs> Maybe that's a better word to use. But, but the thing that's really cool is, okay, let's, let's start to look at, um, here we go. Um, so, now the other, as, as we're doing this, who's in town? Why are they in town? It's pretty obvious. Day of Pentecost. Now, they did not know the Holy Spirit would come today. I'm talking of those 120 in the upper room. They're still there in the upper room. But today is the Feast of Pentecost. This is a big-time feast, okay? 50 days after, uh, essentially, the, first, the, the, the Feast of First Fruits, just a couple of days uh, into in, the Passover, okay? So, these guys are coming for a feast, very Jewish in nature. This is very, very Jewish. I want you to continue to resonate in that because this adds to the sense of where we're going to go next of the, of, the, of the speaking in languages or tongues is the word that's mostly used in your, in your Bibles of any, any uh, uh, translation. But language is a, better, is a better word to be used. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay, let's look at some of the words that you find where these guys are from. Go back to, uh, to Acts chapter 2. Let's start to look at where, where these people are from. We see the Parthians, Parthians, uh, that should be over here. Now, what we're going to find is most of, our, of our, group, our listing will go from east to west. So let's see. We have the Parthians, and they were actually, they were a, they were a group of people that literally the Romans never conquered. They were so far away from the main kingdom that they were, but they weren't. They were one of their arch enemies, the Parthians. The Medes, uh, we may not find that, but be somewhat in the same area. It would have been, uh, remember the, the, uh, the Persian Empire? Okay, we would find a lot of that right in here. Somebody keep helping me with words. All right, you want me to do that. There's some of those that are pretty tricky, aren't they? Elamites, the dwellers of Mesopotamia. You would start to find that you would be coming into this Persian area. In the, there's Mesopotamia right there. You, you see what we're doing? We're actually going from east to west, aren't we? Uh, you'll see some of these other ones. Here's Cappadocia, right? Um, we've got, let's see the one, excuse me? Pontus. Pontus. Does anybody see that one? Uh, that right there. There it is. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do you see what we're doing? We're progressing east to west. Um, let's take a at the far end of that. Um, where did, where's Cyrene? It should be right off, uh, it should be the Cretans. See, that would be off of that island. Then you have actually down in Egypt, right? You've got, Where's the, the, right here, Nabataea, that would actually be 
Arabians. So if you look at it, we are actually surrounding the entire Mediterranean Sea. These people have come from a long ways off. Now, it says that they're dwelling in Jerusalem. I would say still a good part of them would have planned the trip well in advance, maybe because they were asked to be in Jerusalem for this Feast of Pentecost. Now, it's probable that those would have been in the far off, and even from Rome. Rome, where's Rome? Right there. That would have been the farthest away. There were even people, proselytes, remember, you saw it in your text. The chances of them being there every year would probably be remote. But there were people literally from all of those regions gathered right here in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And now all of a sudden, on this day, now what gathered them to this room? Let's go to verse 6 in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 6. Now when this was noised, what was noised? What was noised? Let's go back. Verse 2. But suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. How many of you have been in a hurricane? I have not. You have. Even better. Okay. It's amazingly boisterous. Is that correct? Or how about a, a tornado? I mean, you don't want to be in the tornado, but you can hear the, the ferociousness, right? That's what I'm talking about. That sound, but not that storm. It's that sound. In fact, I was thinking of it this morning. How would you describe this? If you hear a large explosion, let's just say we would hear something and we're out in our driveway. Where are we going to look? We're going to look where that was at. It would be much the same way, this loud sound, and guess what? People start going, what was that? What was that? Now, this is called an introduction to Peter's sermon. Would that not be a bit dynamic? <laughs> and these guys come, these, I think, a really large gathering, start to come to this place. And inside, there's 120 people with having the tongues of fire above their head, indicating they all have received the Holy Ghost. But that doesn't mean nothing to them until they hear every one of those 120 speaking in languages from across the world that were perfect. Now, that's where it got weird because they said, these, these are rednecks. How could they possibly know the language of Parthia or of Cappadocia or of Cretan? What, what is going on here? There are, in fact, five different words that says they're amazed, they're bewildered. They cannot figure this out. This is too crazy, over the top. But that would have been the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Because when's the last time you saw the Holy Spirit? You, don't, you can't see Him. So you can only see it from effect. That's why for us today, when it says the fruit, that would be the fruit. Now, you can taste fruit. You can see fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. You can see that all day long. You know what they could see in here? was a language. Particularly, if you were a Parthian, you came a long ways to get to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden you're there and you're hearing in the language of which you grew up, that you literally were born into, the wonderful works of God? That had never happened before. They were amazed. Guess what? If you were in Parthia and you were a Jew, more than likely you would have had a synagogue that you would have approached. It was probably rather small, I'm sure. It would have been very small, potentially. But one thing I can assure you, and I don't know what the language is of Parthia, but I'm going to go with Parthian. Okay, I'm going to go with that. And it's okay for my, for my analogy. You would never go into that synagogue and have it in that language of that Gentile nation. Never happened. Never happened. It was always in either Hebrew or the common language of the day in which Jesus would have spoke was Aramaic. It would be a lesser grade of Hebrew, if you will. This was brand new information. Never had this ever happened before. 
That's why they're so bewildered by all of this. They're like, what is going on? This is craziness. But that would have been the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to do is just take a break. I'm talking about parenthesis, we're going to do another parenthesis right here. Because there's some things that we said last week, and this is normal. I've said it today as well. First Corinthians, in your notes, in your, in your notebooks, you're going, to, you're going to want to make sure that you understand. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, it, that the body is one in Christ. You're baptized. Every single one is baptized by the Holy Spirit into the, into the body of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, then you do not have Christ. See, it's, it covers that on both sides. That's the normal way. What we've seen here is the beginning of that of Church at Pentecost. Now, we're going to look at three passages of scriptures that seem to say, huh, what is that about? So, let's start right in. In that we're going to deal with the Holy Spirit and, and, it's, uh, and how it literally uh, was, there's, there's some loose ends, maybe is what we should say. So, let's go to Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Acts chapter 8 and verse 14. Now, there's things that are happening already. Uh, did you notice, what was the first way for Satan to attack the, whole, the coming of the Holy Spirit? We were not, it's not in chapter 8. We're going to f- back in chapter 2. Remember, this is what we would say is the explanation of this Holy Spirit. Because if you walked in this room, and there's 120 people, there's, let's imagine there's 120 in here, and you step in, and all of a sudden you see these tongues of fire. And that's weird. Now, this is where the big fat noise that sounded like a hurricane, but there wasn't one, brought you to this room. At this time, I think there's even more movement than that. But those 120 would have had those tongues of fire over their, over their head. And then you, being from Parthia, I don't know why I'm picking on that one. It's easy to remember. You here in your hometown, in your home language, there was something right out of the book of Isaiah talking about the wonderful works of God. And that's what, it, the wonderful works of God? That'd be anything in the Old Testament. It could, be every, it could be from the creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Probably that was in Cappadocian. Never heard it like that before. That's crazy. What's going on here? Now, they responded by that. Those that were, you know, the scoffers, the scorners, right? These guys are are drunk. I mean, come on. I'm pretty sure that's why it happened in the morning at 9 o'clock rather than like 6 o'clock. That was just totally, just by even tradition, was stupid. In fact, that excuse was beyond belief. In fact, Peter dismissed it so early in his sermon, it's amazing. Guys, it's 9 o'clock. Think of it. And then it even says new wine. You know what that means? That is fresh grape juice. That's like, that's like these are like children. They can't even handle their grape juice. Really? And, and, and they get it. The Galileans are speaking in perfect other tongues and other languages from across the world. That's what grape juice does when you're drunk. That's stupid. It's ridiculous, right? What's that? Exactly. And if anything, the language that you did speak would be slurred, right? So how could you speak another language that would be understood? It, it's, it doesn't even make any sense. But literally, think of this carefully now. That was the beginning of Satan's attacks from scorning or scoffing. You get to chapter 4, all of a sudden it's like asking weird questions, to persecuting, to jailing, to beating to killing, to literally dispersing them because of persecution. Now, see, this is where God works all things together. You've got stuff going in your life, got stuff going in my life, and it's like ununderstandable. You don't know how it fits in. Why is this happening? What is the point of it? And you can go ahead and nod because it is. That's how life works. And that's why James says, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials, because it worketh patience, right? That's good for us. But look at this now. 
What, was the, what did Jesus pass the baton to the apostles on? Preach the gospel to the entire world. Do you know the most effective way that literally Satan would have pushed on that is he persecuted the Christians to the level they left Israel and they left their land and they were dispersed through the entire known world. Guess what? With the message within them. That's called missionaries at the hands of Satan's bidding, really. Even though he wouldn't have wanted that, he, what were we thinking, guys? Now we got these guys spread everywhere talking about Jesus. See, that's how God works. Satan is totally in his realm. He's totally in God's pocket, if you will. There's nothing that he's allowed to do that literally doesn't, from the terms of eternity, prosper everything that God's about. And in the meantime, it makes us more mature, more like Jesus Christ. Look at everything he dealt out against Jesus Christ, Satan. He took, I mean, he, the beating and the, you know, I, and I say this, Satan never wanted Jesus to die because he read the scriptures and knows them better than we do. But he did want him to run away for him to declare it's not worth it. And the best way to do that is to beat him, to take a crown of thorns that have that long of spikes and jam it into his head and put him on a cross and hoping at that point, Jesus, I've had it. I can't take this anymore. And at, who knows, 10,000 legions of angels come and bring him off of that. But it was already determined. The biggest pinnacle moment was after Jesus Christ had his supper with those 12 apostles. And he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, I'd be sweating drops of blood. Not why, if you could, if this cup, this cup of wrath that's going to be poured on me from noon to three the next day, if that could pass from me, I'm all about it. But your will... Mine. And you know what his will was? That he would choose us in him before the foundation of the world. Again, we're back to the same thing. God is so full of grace. It's amazing. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, where was I at? Oh, yeah, we're back in, we're back in Acts. We're going to start to tidy up some, some, some loose ends. Because we've just described for you, who was at the Feast of Pentecost? This is important. Who was there? Jews. So what we've seen is we've seen the coming of the Holy Spirit evidenced by the fact speaking in languages. And there's a whole other thing we want to come back to that. We spoke very briefly last week. Because when you think of tongues or prophecy or healings, they're usually seen as sign gifts. You've seen that, haven't you? S-I-G-N, a sign gift. So we have to ask the question, what is the purpose of the gift of languages or of tongues? What is the sign behind that? What's its purpose? Now, as we're thinking about that, you would say, well, you know, they're talking about the wonderful works of God. Well, everyone would have understood that in the language of Aramaic in that room. The entire city would have understood that. So if you're going to talk about the wonderful works of God, why not just say it in Aramaic so no, everybody gets it? What's the purpose of speaking in Parthian or Cappadocian or, you get it, Elium or whatever? There's got to be something to that. I'm going to let you ponder on that because let's go through and see how else the Holy Spirit was systematically at the inception or a transitional phase. This is a brand new dispensation. The church is brand new. So we're in Acts chapter 8. They're actually, the Christians are becoming scattered. Let's start in verse 14. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now we've got to stop. Laramie, maybe throw a, see if you've got like a, just a, a map of Israel, something like that. See if you've got that up there. What, now when I say the word Samaria, you think Samaritans, Samaritans that's good. I like that. Samaria, Samaritans, Samaritans that's good. I like that. What, what's that? The good Samaritan. Yeah, that's one you'd probably think of, isn't it? The good Samaritan, right? That's a story about, um, there was three men, right? The first one was what? 
A priest? Second? Levite? Was the Levite the priest? Anyway, there's two, two, we should go to the story, but we're not going to because we don't have time. But the, the one that was stated last was the Samaritan, which makes this story even more interesting. That's why I want to play here for just a moment. Jesus used the diabolical, the, the most downtrodden, the one that would be looked at with the least and the most disdain would be the Samaritan. Samaritans were not appreciated. They were actually very antagonistic. The Jews were antagonistic towards them. And here we have Samaria. Okay. So where, where, did, where did the Feast of Pentecost take place? Jerusalem. Okay, right there. Samaria is north of that. If you're a Jew, you think Samaritans are another class of citizens, and I can't get low enough. They actually called them dogs. If you were up here in Galilee, let's say those disciples. Now, these are the rednecks. See, in our part of the world, the south is the rednecks. In Israel, the rednecks were in Galilee. You guys are actually buying that, aren't you? Um, but, but I will say that Galileans were still kind of backwoodsy. They, they were not perceived as the educated guess where they were at. Well, they're the priests that live in Jerusalem. This is the hoity-toities. This is what's so crazy is the Galileans, these 12 disciples. Remember, there's 12 now, right? Because we picked a new one to take over for Judas Iscariot. Now we've got 12 plus the rest of the 120 in the room. They're all from Galilee. Jesus' mother is there speaking another language. Did that blow your mind? because she's filled with the Holy Ghost. But now in Samaria, if you came from Galilee, you know what's a good chance? Is you probably went Perea, that route, because it's shorter, but you don't go through Samaria, because that's a polluted area. Are you starting to get it? Now what? Let me play this out, because it starts to add a whole other level of credence to you. The church started in Jerusalem at the Feast of Pentecost. You heard or read in the Jerusalem Times, and I call them in, in page 14, that there's a new something going on in Samaria. In fact, they said that they're following Jesus and they've got the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a Jew, I can't even get you there. I can tell you're not responding. In fact, they would just start, start throwing up. No, a thousand times. You can't have Samaritans having the Holy Ghost. You can't have Samaritans having the, the sense of salvation. They're different. They're not, they're not qualified. Are you starting to see where we're going to go now? Who could say with confidence that the Samaritans really had been saved, really did have? Send a couple of apostles from where? Let's read it. Let's read it. Let's go to Acts chapter 8 and let's start in verse, what did I tell you? Verse 14. Let's, let's read it again, knowing what we see. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, the gospel, the good news, they sent unto them Peter and John. So, in other words, hey, Pete, hey, John, I got to have you guys roll into Samaria. Let's see what's really going on there. Is this some, some cult starting up? What's going on? Next verse. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen not, uh, I'm sorry, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized, that is with water baptism, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they lay, then they, I'm sorry, then lay they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Okay, now stop. Now wait a minute, Larry. I thought you said everyone receives the Holy Ghost according to Acts chapter 2. When you've received Christ, Jesus Christ said to the 120, the Galileans that were gathered in, Jer in Jerusalem, you just wait. The Holy Spirit's coming. Well, we've seen that happen in Acts chapter 2. Isn't this Acts chapter 8? Again, take a, take a step back. Who are these people? The Samaritans? There's no way 
that the Jews that would have been part of the Feast of Pentecost would have said that the Samaritans could have possibly gotten the same gift. But if you sent Peter and John to the Samaritans, and they've been baptized in the name of, of, of Jesus Christ, as they lay their hands on them, guess what? Now, it doesn't tell us they spoke in languages, but I'm, I'm almost assuredly that would be the evidence that would have proven that the Holy Spirit was on. Because there's no question going forward that the Holy Spirit was on the Samaritans. Now, what would prove that? The apostles go back to Jerusalem. You, you probably won't believe this, folks, but the Samaritans have the same Holy Ghost as we do. That's the only way you could have literally qualified it was to have the, the apostles come from Jerusalem to Samaria and see it for themselves. That's a loose end. comes together. There's another one in chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This is a whole different group of people. So far we've talked about Jews and Samaritans. Chapter 10. Verse 44. Now, this is an interesting thing. Peter has been, he's been struggling with a vision. There's a man called Cornelius, a Gentile. And Peter's got this sheet that comes down from heaven. And Peter, being a good Jew, knows a lot of things on there he can't eat. And he says, oh, no, Lord, I'd never do that, never do that. And it happens three times. Three times. Yeah, it's kind of like there's a message here, Peter. Are you getting it? Always a message. Yeah, three times, three times. So let's go to verse 44. And literally he's taking, he's preached to this man, uh, Cornelius, and his, and his friends. We're going we're to move right through it. You can start, if you'd like, to, to see the sermon or the passage of that. It starts in verse 24 of Acts chapter 10. We're going to roll through to the end. Verse 44. Well, Peter yet spake these words. Verse 44. In other words, he's preaching to these Gentiles. The Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues, that's languages, and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Again, this is a brand new time of the Gentiles receiving salvation. The Holy Spirit was to signify it. It was, it was a proof that it was there, and guess what? It was a separate event because this is a level of transition. This is the first time we see within a Gentile population that the Holy Spirit has come. Who was there? Peter the Apostle. Do you see how this fits together? It starts to give, it's not just separate events of which we pray for, are they prayed for the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. It's a transitional period. The church age is being completely, uh, robustly um, patterned after Jews Samaritans, Gentiles, and there's one left. There's one more group that we will see. And these are the only times we see that from there, this point on, every single time it's normalized. If you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. These are four distinct groups. And in a brand new dispensation, you must have the apostolic authority to prove that this really happened. There was an, there was an apostle Peter was here for the Gentiles. Let's go to one more and then we're going to move on. Chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And this has to do in the land of Ephesus, chapter 19, verse 1. It came to pass that, Acts chapter, I'm sorry, yes, Acts chapter 19. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto, when, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Who are these? These are John the Baptist's disciples. Now there, oh, we've got a different map here. Ephesus would be in, 
Well, it'd be a long ways away. Let's just say it that way. It's a long, yeah, it, actually, it's, it's in Turkey. Actually, it's, that's right, okay? Long ways away. These are John the Baptist's disciples. How did they get that far away? I don't know. But they're preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's their message. Paul runs into him and says, have you been baptized or immersed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit? Ultimately is what he's saying. We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. What a great time to hear of it, right? So here we have the Old Testament saints, if you were, are those that are under John the Baptist, which would have been pre-Messiah, literally bringing them into the fold of the church. Guess what? They are given the Holy Spirit as well. After this, guess what? There's not another time it speaks of that the Holy Spirit is, is event by event given because every one of the groups, name them, Pentecost is the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, and John the Baptist's disciples, or the, what we would call the Old Testament saints. All four of those were independently by the apostles given the Holy Spirit at the beginning, at the inception of this transition period. See, that starts to all make sense now, doesn't it? All makes sense. They never asked for it. They never prayed for it. It just happened, just like it did at the Feast of Pentecost. I'm sorry, at, at, yes, at, at Pentecost. Now, do you remember, you guys got the answer to the question I asked. What was the sign? What is the sign of the tongue or the, or the language? What is the sign behind that? What is, what is really being stated? What's the significance of it? So let's go back to Jerusalem. That's the best place for us to be because this is where it, comes, it becomes pretty, pretty vivid. Talk to me about the Jews, the Feast of Pentecost. Just talk to me about the status spiritually of the Jews. Excuse me? They were set apart. They certainly were. And God had chosen them to be his gem, if you will. How did they do with that job? That's a good word, actually. They did a lousy job of that, didn't they? They were forgetful. They hardened their hearts. Yeah, numerous times, by the way, right? What was their perception of Jesus? So if you were, and, and again, there's, there, obviously there's different, different strokes for different Jews, right? Um, some of them felt that he was going to be the leader. The disciples, let's talk about them for a moment. They really thought he'd come to set up the kingdom, and they wanted to be on the cabinet. You know, the secretary treasurer, the secretary of commerce, the secretary, you, you get it, right? They were, they were lining up. There's going to be 12 departments, and we're in charge of that, right? We're going to be there. They missed... They missed what we would call, why are you here? The parenthesis, the rejection period. Almost all of the Jews rejected Jesus Christ because he was from Nazareth. That was on the other side of the tracks. He was from Galilee. That was used disparagingly. When they said the disciples were from Galilee, that was not a nice comment. They really rejected him, didn't they? They rejected him. So how was that seen by God? In fact, Jesus spoke of it a number of times that they had killed his prophets. They had rejected him. They had scorned all the things that he had said, right? I mean, that's all through the, the Old Testament. And on this day, Jewish in nature, they show up, they hear this, this sound of a hurricane, they run to this room, and all of a sudden there's people, these Galileans, speaking their language. We said this a number of times. The wonderful works of God. Why do they, and you see it, they're amazed. They're just freaked out. What, what is going on? Why, are they, why, is that, why does that trouble them? 
Let's go to the Old Testament and look at some passages. Because a foreign language, shall we say, is not a good thing. It speaks of judgment. Let's go to let's go to Isaiah first. Isaiah chapter 28. Let's try that. Where did I write my notes now? Isaiah chapter 20, I think it's 11 and 12. Yeah, there we go. I'll get back there in a second. Isaiah chapter 28. And I want you to see something. As you're, as you're unfolding Isaiah, I, I'll have to fill in some blanks. Uh, maybe some of you aren't familiar with it. But what was Isaiah's job? Who was he? He was a prophet. What was he saying? What was he telling people? And, and that and also, what was his time frame in which he was living? He was at a time when the Assyrians had just invaded the northern part of the kingdom. If you go to the northern part, it was the land of Israel. Um, they had come. Why did they come? Why did the Assyrians conquer them? Because they're Israel, Pete, right? They had a hard heart. Didn't follow them. Followed after idols. He sent them as a judgment, correct? Uh, the Babylonians, they came in 586 to the, Judish, the Judea's kingdom. So he's speaking about judgment. Isaiah chapter 28, let's look at verses 11 and 12. Now, if you were to read the first part of that, we would find essentially that he is placing them and, and warning them of what's going to come because of their, their unrighteousness, because of their drawn away from what God had asked them. And he says in verse 11, For with stammering lips and another tongue, in other words, another language, will he speak to this people who, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which it talks about tongues. It talks about languages from Paul's perspective, which was the last book you will ever find tongues mentioned, languages. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and let's look now at verse 21, which is literally what we just read in Isaiah. Isaiah uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will, they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for the sign, not to them to believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying, they preserveth not for them, but believe not for them which believe. Do you know what this is? The sign of the languages that were given to those Jews that were in Pentecost, that lasted for about 25 years. It will be from 30 A.D. to 1 Corinthians, which was written in 55 A.D. 25 years of signs through languages. It was written for the Jews in a foreign language, to literally declare the wonderful works of God was a judgment against them for rejecting Christ. You'll find it in Deuteronomy. Moses said the same thing. You're going to be conquered if you choose not to follow God from someone from a foreign language. The very essence of the wonderful works of God being declared in a foreign language that they understood in the places that they lived was a judgment against them for not believing. And now I'm even going to say it in a foreign language, the, the grace of God. Will you reject it now? That's why when Peter gets up, we're not going to get to that today. When he, when he gets up, this is what sets the stage. Those people in that room literally are seeing the amazement, the bewilderment, all of those things as a sign of a foreign language in God saying that there is judgment coming because you have rejected Jesus Christ. You talk about a wide open intro. They say that a pastor or a preacher's introduction is the most important. Set it up. 
I'll tell you what, Peter couldn't have a better setup, right? You got the sound of a hurricane. People are running to see what's going on. There's guys with cloven tongues of fire upon them, and they're speaking in perfect languages of places that they grew up. That's an intro. That's an intro. It's like having an earthquake and then figuring it out. Well, next week we're going to look at literally how Peter takes this. But for just a moment, I want you to see again, just briefly, this is a new Peter. This is a brand new Peter. What would have happened just before Jesus Christ's crucifixion? What would this Peter have looked like as all of these people would have gathered? Ah. Uh, could I offer a possible explanation maybe of what could be happening here? That's what he probably would have said. There was no confidence at all in him. But now he starts off with Joel of all things, which has to do with the last days. That's what, We're going to talk a lot more about it next week. But literally he pulls out of the Old Testament a scripture that he would not have even remotely thought about prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. So what happened? What was the significant part of all of the disciples from the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts is their understanding of the Old Testament. And when did that happen? Let's look at a couple of passages. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. This is one that I, I think you really need to have either marked. I'm not telling you to mark your Bible. I do because I can't remember anything. Luke chapter 24, and let's take a look at verse 44 and 45. Now, he's appeared to them, to the disciples, and this is what he says. This is where things start to come into, into play. He said, verse 44, chapter 24, He said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scripture. There's the difference between the pre-crucifixion disciples and the post-ascension Peter who got up with boldness and declares this. And now we're reading ahead. He gives this sermon to all of these people and they're Jews in nature and most of them probably did not believe Jesus Christ was Messiah. After him saying, I should have counted the words because it's not a long sermon. How many were saved? 3,000. What town has 3,000 people? I was like, like to get my arms around 3,000. What's Sheridan? 600, 700, 800? Dylan, what are you guys on board with that? 3,000 plus or minus? Think of that. Peter gets up, gives his powerful, powerful, he, he's spirit-filled, he control. Remember we talked about that last week? Here you got a glass, glass is still here, right? You could fill this, set it down, and it doesn't go anywhere, it's static. But if you've got a sailboat, Filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wind, just like that. You're moving. That's what Peter's doing, being filled, dominated, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And 3,000, the town of Dillon, were saved in one session. Probably shortly after 9 a.m. in the morning. Think of that. What's the difference? Understanding the Old Testament. Holy the Holy Spirit. And understanding. This is what's really, really important. Is they... The gospel of Jesus Christ has never changed. And it wasn't the fact that it changed. It was the fact that he understood it. Peter understood it more full, and he was able to expound it. This is before Paul wrote any letters. This isn't the gospel of Paul now. This is literally the gospel, the gospel, that they now understand from the Old Testament being fulfilled in the Messiah for them to expound upon, and 3,000 are saved. 3,000 Jews, no less. They start the church. 
but the setting aside of the nation is still in place. And then you saw what we went through. You have the Samaritans, the Gentiles, and John, John the Baptist's disciples. All of those will enter into the church. It's a fantastic, exciting time. Um, now the passage goes on, and we're going to stop here. Joel chapter 2, it talks about the last days. That's what he said. Now this is not a fulfillment of Joel 2, but it, it is part of that. It would, so what, there was a man, uh, a, 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 a seminary teacher, he called it the pre-fulfillment. Not the fulfillment, the pre-fulfillment. It was like part of it, but it wasn't the fulfillment. Because Joel saw it as the coming of the Messiah and the judgment, the second coming, if you will, to us. See, the prophets in the Old Testament, they saw those as one event. One event. Do you guys, are we living in the last days? Yes. Okay, how do we, and, and what do we base that on? You're right, by the way. The, the, signs. Okay, the, the signs. signs. Okay. When did the last times, when did the last days start? Excuse me? When, you mean right, when we're in right now? When, well, well, in other words, if we say, when did the last days, when did the last times, the last hour, well, we, there's sometimes that's used, when did the last days start? When Jesus ascended, okay. Anything else? The resurrection, okay. A lot of good answers, isn't there? Well, let's look at some examples of what the scriptures reveal to us. What the last days are, okay. Let's go to Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter one, and now here's what I'm going to say. I think we're living in the last of the last days. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. We'll just read verse 1, 2. So find Hebrews, and let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 1, and let's take a look at verse 1. A God who at sundry various times and in, very, and in various manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. What would we call that? What was that time frame? That would be the Old Testament, essentially. Okay? Hath in these last days... Spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made. So when did the last day start? The coming of the Messiah. That's literally what all of the scripture portrays to is the coming of Jesus Christ was the beginning of the last days. Now for us, of course, we've, we're living later than the 2000. So we think, and are we in the last days? We have been for a long time, for about 2000 years. Because when Jesus comes, when the Messiah has come, when he's paid the price for everyone, then literally that is the last days because everything is accomplished for salvation to be magnified, to be glorified, to be everything that's fruition. Okay? So we're in the last days. Now, the reason I say we're in the last of the last days is not just because it's 2,000 years, but I want to go to a passage of Scripture in, uh, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and you see what you think if this is maybe the last days. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're just about to get done here. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. That'll actually mess you up. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Da, da, da. Here we go. Verse 1. This know also. That in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, hmm. covetous, hmm. boasters, proud, wow, they stack those together, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, 
unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers. Now that sounds familiar. <laughs> That's a depiction of literally the times and ages where we're living in. I think we're at the very end. But let's close with this passage. In Titus, just turn over a couple of pages, Titus chapter 3. This truly is how we're going to, once again, just rest upon what Jesus did and where we're at. Uh, Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Stop there for just a second. Uh, the law that was given through Moses to the people of Israel. And there was, man, there was, like, it was overwhelming, right? What was it? Did anyone ever get saved by the law? What was the law for? What was its purpose? I mean, I, mean I, I think of this. Do you know how many red heifers or red bulls I'd have to have just for my sin? Oh, man, it's depressing. You'd have to have lambs and goats and doves and stuff and kill them and put blood and every time you sinned. Ah! So why? What was the law for? It showed us. It was. It literally showed how we fell short. Sin is falling short of the mark. That's literally all sin means. It's like, I, I liken this, I've used it in, in a number of analogies, uh, particularly probably in funerals more than anything. But let's say you go to the Grand Canyon. And by the way, it doesn't matter by how much you fall short. James said, for if you offend in one point of the law, you are guilty of all. That's depressing. <laughs> it is depressing. So let's think, you go to the Grand Canyon. Paul, you're on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And you went on your way in there, you got some brand new sneakers. I mean, these babies, they are so light. They're almost like a flying like a bird, right? They say Jordan on the side. I don't know what that means, but it, I mean, it's amazing what you can do with these, right? And then you got, you got, the, you got the, you know, the psychedelic, you, know, you got the trunks, the shorts that are, whoo, that are on it. You got a t-shirt that, I mean, you got all the pieces you need to be able to go as far as you can go. I'm gonna write on the back of that, works law okay here comes paul and he winds up and he lets her roll and he goes about 150 feet now here's the old cowboy larry he shows up and he's got his old boots on he's got his vest he's got his hat on he is so not dressed for running right and he looks at that and he runs for it and he went 50 feet. What's the result? Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Death. The law was only to show us what we lacked, what we needed. It pointed us to the gospel. That's what the little book of Galatians is all about. That's a book, quite honestly, folks, if you've not read the book of Galatians and studied it, do it. Because anything that we add to grace, anything you add to grace, is to literally throw it all out the window. It can be grace and grace alone. Paul and I both need to show up to the Grand Canyon and say, we haven't got a chance. There's no way we can do that. We need the one that can take us across. In fact, there was a picture, and I probably how I got used to using that was in Paradise Valley Community Church years and years ago. Behind, they had a curtain on the front, and behind it was a, was a portrait. Somebody had painted it. I don't remember the man's name. It was before my time there. But literally, there was like a Grand Canyon. But what spanned it was the cross. And the cross was from one end to the other. 
And the only way you could get across that was through the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way Paul and I can make it. We can try everything imaginable. You'll never get there without him. There's no way. Now, that's really what we're talking about. Let's go back and finish our verse. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Oh, new place for my glasses. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, that's not giving us what we deserve, he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, did you notice that? What's shed abroad? The Holy Ghost. How? Through our belief in Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 7. That being justified, that is to be declared not guilty by His grace. That's how you're declared not guilty, His grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now that is a buttoned up version of everything that is involved with your life. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you wrap your arms around those three verses this week. That covers it from front to back. When you trust Christ, when you literally make Him the way that you get across the Grand Canyon of death, then you are heirs of eternal life, and the Holy Spirit is living within you. And the Feast of Pentecost, I'm sorry, the day of Pentecost when the church started was that brand new transitional period of which the church began, which is incorporating under the period of grace all races and ethnicities everywhere across this globe will come through Jesus Christ. Now, there's a time where this will end. I think we're in the very last days of the Age of Grace. I think we're really amazingly close. I'm seeing signs now from Revelation as we unpack that book that I've not seen more clearly than now. We have to be approaching it. And I, I, that's, that's strong words. I better not say that because God, God one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. I'm not trying to get any. But when you watch how the, how the, how the scriptural record unfolds, and Revelation is going to happen. It's going to happen. We're at the end. We're at the end. Be prepared. Be prepared. Because when Jesus, when we meet him in the air, the tribulation period, the working, going back to Romans chapter 8, 11, they're going to start, he's going to start working with the Jews. That will be hell on earth. That's what it takes the Jews to turn their heads, to turn their minds, to turn their hearts back to Jesus Christ. And then we're a very short time from being away from literally the kingdom of God. And I'm ready. Behold, I come quickly. When I say that, I think of this. This is, this is sort of a funny story. So here's this guy. There's this pastor, and he's, and they've always said, if 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 you you know if you can't remember the next point, just just get louder, just you know, because it'll probably come to you, right? Okay. So he's going, he's hammering away, and he was said, behold, I come quickly, and then he forgot his next point, and he's thinking, well, I just you know I'll just say it again with more you know more energy. And so he's, behold, I come quickly. And then he, and I'm not going to go to the next level, but there's four times that he literally just on, and the last time the pulpit tipped over and he fell into the lap of the woman on the front row. And he's, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. And he's so embarrassed. And she said, no, 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 you told me four times you were coming quickly. (laughs) Every time I say that, I think of that. Do you know what? Jesus said that and he means it. And when he comes, he will come quickly. Be ready. Be ready. Immerse yourself in his grace. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Let's pray. 
Father God, there's so many things to consider here. So many things that we can just quietly be thankful for. Not only the gift of Jesus Christ, we need to be thankful that the Jews set you aside. That allows us the opportunity to be part of the church, that body of Christ, that we are immersed into the Holy Ghost to be baptized into one body with Jews and with Gentiles and with Samaritans and all races, all ethnicities. By grace we are saved. Father, may you continue your program just as it's unfolded in the Scriptures, because you will, because that's what happens. You're God and it happens. It's predetermined, Father, what's going to happen. I pray for someone here today that may not know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, that all of the things that have kept them from coming to Him, that those walls would erode. They would fall down, crumble. The Holy Spirit would work in that heart, because there's no way getting away from death. It's reality. And the only way to escape it for eternity is to place trust in, your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, the one that conquered it, the one that literally did rise from the dead after paying for that sin of which we need to repent of. What a gift. If someone would just in their heart quietly, it doesn't have to be a boisterous, it doesn't have to be loud, it's that quiet place, that throne room of your life. Yes, Father, I bow at your feet. I repent of my sin. I accept Jesus Christ solely. I trust in him for my salvation. I trust in him as my Savior. Then eternal life and the Holy Spirit will dwell within you. You will change from the inside out. It's a brand new day. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the disciples were asked to distribute. That's what we as Christians are asked to continue as the baton has been passed. Take your word, spread it through the entire globe, Father. Thank you for, for your provisions of grace. Take us where you want us to be. There are those here today that are hurting, that have needs that they aren't even expressible. They're deeper than they can share. That person, Father, reach into the very innermost being of them. Touch them. Lift them up. Encourage them. May they feel the love that you have exhibited to the world. Surround us, Father, with your love. Take us on our journey of life, one step at a time. We trust you. We praise you. We give you all glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.